Hello, this is Tom McSweeney, and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. The Maritime Ireland radio show is all about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development, all so important to this island nation, where the connection with the sea is as old as time itself, a fundamental part of Ireland socially and economically. The one thing I've learned over the years in fisheries, you never get anything easy and you never get it quickly. But if you stay at it and you have the tenacity, which I think I do, uh, you will get there in the end. Now, that's an interesting assessment of the fishing industry, and it comes from a man who spent nearly 40 years in it. A bit unusually, perhaps, I might add, on two sides. First, on behalf of the government, whose attitude towards the industry is often strongly criticised. And then, on behalf of the fishermen. Sean O'Donoghue is Chief Executive of the Kittybegs Fishermen's Organisation in Donegal, a respected and outspoken man on behalf of fishermen. I hear a lot from the industry these days, particularly about the impact of Brexit, which could fundamentally change its future. If Irish boats are prevented from fishing in British waters, that won't be good. There are 16,000 jobs around Ireland, both in coastal and the general community dependent on the industry, a point which Sean O'Donoghue has been making strongly as the Brexit issue dragged on. The relationship between government and the industry is at times quite contradictory. While the state supports the industry in the Brexit situation, it's at the same time at loggerheads with it over imposing myriads of regulations which have led to accusations from fishermen that it's destroying the industry. In this contradictory situation, in an industry where there are constantly challenging, difficult issues arising, what keeps a fisherman's representative going? I suppose, uh, to be honest, I've uh, I've spent all my uh, my my time at uh, at fisheries, and I really have a genuine uh, uh, a genuine interest in this, and I actually believe uh, in the fishermen that go out there because we have some of the the best fishermen in Europe uh, in the in the Irish fleet, uh, and that goes not long for pelagic, but for the master on the and the shellfish, and they. Um, they, they actually believe in what they're doing. And I, I feel passionately about that um, we, we need to, to, to ensure that we have a sustainable future. And what drives me is that I, I really want to, to try and make a difference to that. And uh, the one thing I've learned over the years, in fisheries, you never get anything easy and you never get it quickly. But if you stay at it and you have the tenacity, which I think I do, uh, you will get there in the end. For yourself as a CEO at Kitty Beggs with Brexit and several other problems in the fishing industry, it's a really tough time in the industry trying to keep focus on Brexit, isn't it? Uh, it is, and uh, absolutely, and uh, I've gone through uh, very, very many uh, difficulties. Uh, I've been nearly 40 years at, the, at this now on different sides of the table, but uh, and we've gone through some turbulent times, but nothing uh, like this, because Brexit is the biggest threat 
to the fishing industry since the foundation of the state. And on top of that, we have uh, we have COVID and we have our own internal uh, domestic loan problems, which we shouldn't be having, but unfortunately we are. So what about Brexit, Sean? Are the government and the industry fully united in defence of Irish fishing? I'd have to say, uh, as, as you know, I don't, uh, I don't always see eye to eye with our minister or indeed the Irish government in terms of fisheries. But on this one, I'd have to say we are, we are all singing from the same hymn sheets. But by no way are we out of the woods in terms of this because there is a real danger yet that we could... Uh, end up with a, a, a bad deal or indeed a no deal and uh, uh, we're working might and main to ensure that won't happen. That is a, a very awful perspective the industry feels, isn't it? That should there be no deal, it really will be a very bad, tough situation. I, I, I think it is, uh, it is unimaginable, to be honest, uh, really, Tom, uh, in relation to, uh, to, to that situation, because if it transpires that on the 1st of January uh, there is a no-deal scenario and uh, common sense hasn't prevailed between both sides uh, in terms of uh, trying to have some arrangement uh, in the short term, if that if that is the scenario, I guarantee that there will be chaos at sea and at land uh, within uh, 24 to 48 hours. And this is something that we certainly, I certainly don't want, none of my colleagues want, and indeed none of my European colleagues want. But uh, this is inevitable to, to happen because people are, people are not going to accept what they did for for uh, for generations that they can't do suddenly because of a of a no deal scenario and this won't be just a European Union fishermen this is going to be a UK and a Scottish and Northern Ireland fishermen as well so this is absolutely a nightmare scenario and uh, uh, if if it uh, if it went on for long term uh, the it, this would decimate the uh, the Irish fishing industry from from Kinnebegs right around to Castletown to to uh, to Clarehead and to to all of the other uh, fishing ports. This isn't just one port. This is this is all sectors that would be really decimated here. And in my view, uh, in such a scenario, if we had uh, if this went on for for a year or two years, we would see um, four to five thousand jobs lost in the sixteen thousand odd jobs in the in the fishing industry and we will see what is a, a, a sunrise industry at the moment in terms of value uh, to the economy of 1.22 billion as such. We could see that down to 600 or 700 mil, uh, million. This would, uh, this would really decimate the, uh, the coastal peripheral areas and the fishing communities like uh, Killybegs and Castletown Bear and Rosseville and uh, Dunmore East and uh, and For yourself as a CEO at Kitty Beggs with Brexit and several other problems in the fishing industry, it's a really tough time in the industry trying to keep focus on Brexit, isn't it? Uh, it is, and uh, absolutely, and uh, I've gone through uh, very, very many uh, difficulties uh, uh, I've been nearly 40 years at the, at this now on different sides of the table, but uh, 
and we've gone through some turbulent times, but nothing uh, like this because Brexit is the biggest threat to the fishing industry since the foundation of the state. Sean O'Donoghue, Chief Executive of Killybeg's Fishermen's Organisation, talking to me there from his office in the Donegal Fishing Port. And a pretty serious situation in regard to Brexit. Fishing is a tough business and a tough job. Living, working, sleeping in a moving, tossing, plunging world. I've been on fishing boats and struggled to keep my stomach from heaving as the crew went about their tasks, hauling nets on deck, then going below decks in the constantly moving world, which is not always pleasant, to prepare the fish for marketing. It's not a life I could live permanently. Wonder if you could. Well, the man who lived it many years ago sent me a CD. Paul MacDonald, a songwriter who had a cottage in Copper Rally in the heart of Dublin, sent me the CD called Crazy Old World. And one of the songs on it he called Fish Guts and Diesel, which he'd written from his experience of fishing out of Galway. I'll never forget the smell of that combination of fish guts and diesel, he said. I'll never forget it either. Being aboard a fishing boat in rough seas is tough. Fish guts and diesel, the ever restless sea, that are all in decks and big stakes for your tea. Dead fish's eyes staring up from a tank, horizon all around on the porcupine bank. Her skipper resembles a human chameleon, an angel is shown, but I'd see a demon. Where once he was pleasant, well, we weren't prepared, but when he turned tyrant by then, we were snared. Fish got some diesel, the hour restless sea. The rolling decks and big stakes for your tea. Dead fish's eyes staring up from the tank, horizon all around on the porcupine bank. We worked under the sun and two nights black as coal, ceaselessly rolling for slippery shoals. Superstition rose never made sure Surrounded by water of by tension by gore Fish guts and diesel The ever restless sea Not a rolling deck Some big stakes for your tea Dead fish's eyes Staring up from the tank Horizon all around On the porcupine bank Sometimes in the dark As you gaze in the night your mind's in the stars as your thoughts they take flight And then the fourth seven brings you back down to earth And you battle the elements for all that you're worth Fish guts and diesel, the ever restless sea But a rolling decks and big stakes for your tea Dead fish's eyes staring up from the tank So rising all around on the porcupine bank Ocean so awesome, so violent, so calm Can make life a heaven or hell for a man But if we abuse it, then we'll pay the cost We reign to our folly and all could be lost Fish guts and diesel, the ever restless sea Not a rolling decks and big stakes for your tea Dead fish's eyes staring up 
fishing all around on the porcupine bank. Fish got some diesel, the ever restless sea. Got a rolling neck, some big steaks for your tea. Yes, fish's eyes turned up from the tank. Rising all around on the porcupine bank. A pretty good picture there of being a crewman on a trawler, a demanding life for which being dedicated is obviously a big benefit. Now, for a small nation on the edge of Western Europe, the Irish maritime influence is strong, and it's emphasised by two Irishmen who've been appointed to top posts on world maritime organisations. Paul Connolly, Chief Executive at the Marine Institute in Oranmore, Galway, has been elected to the Bureau of the International Council for the Exploration of the Seas, known as ICES, which has a membership network of 6,000 scientists from over 700 marine institutes in its 20 member countries, bordering the North Atlantic. The Council decides on its policy, and Paul Connolly's new appointment adds to his 20 years of experience at ICES, from the time he was first appointed Irish delegate there in the year 2000. And the Corkman has been elected one of seven new vice presidents at the World Sailing Organization, where Ireland hasn't had representation at the top level of that international body since Dubliner Ken Ryan was a VP there from 1998 to 2004. Marcus Bellan from Cork sailed mirrors, lasers, 49ers and NACRA 17s and is now based in America. And what do you think of this? A farmer from County Meath who's called the Flying Irishman in French sailing circles and who would like to represent Ireland in sailing at the Olympics when they're held in France in 2024. That would be something, wouldn't it? For foreign skippers coming into France, it's almost like football or hurling over here. You know, it's been on for like, this race has been going on for the last 50 years. This is 33-year-old Tom Dolan, who moved to Concarneau in Brittany in 2009 to make a career as a professional sailor. A daunting task, but he's made quite an impact. The Figaro is the top solo race in the French sailing calendar, as important as the Tour de France is to cycling. And Tom finished the top non-French competitor in it this year. While the tour got lots of national media publicity here, his achievement didn't get so much. It did in France, however, where the sport is huge, with many thousands watching the finish of the Figaro, where he was fifth overall and won the VV trophy. French professional sailors, who've won most of the world's top sailing trophies, are better known there than soccer or rugby players. French national policy has made the sport widely available to the public. I hear you're being called the Flying Irishman. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing we picked up a few years ago, actually. Yeah. Uh, it seems to, seems to have stuck anyway. Yeah, yeah that's true. It was not a bad thing, was it? <laughs> It's a long way from County Me, Tom, when you when you started in sailing um on the local lake. Obviously you're 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 very pleased now that you took the decision to head for sailing and not farming. Yeah, that's true. That's true, that's true. And it wasn't a very easy decision to make, you know, especially coming from my generation, you know, it was just just before the big the big uh, the big uh, what's it called you know, the, the Celtic Tiger days, you know, there was a lot of pressure on to kinda of get quickly, you know, get get a mortgage, get a house, get a you know, get a career thing and everything. So there's 
it's difficult to kind of break off and do something a little different and say, you know, look, I, I, I've this odd dream is <laughs> to, to, to race around the world. So, What's your particular motivation, Tom, for being involved in such, as you say, a highly competitive sport? Um, what, I, what I love about this one is that the, the idea that all the boats are the same. And a lot of, a lot, most offshore sailing, um, the boat, you, people race in different sorts of boats and so there's either a handicap system or it's just simply whoever has the, 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 the biggest, the biggest checkbook has the best boat. So what I really liked about this one is the, the, the fact that all the boats are the same, you know, very strictly controlled. So the, it's really the skipper that makes a difference and I kind of like that. It can be very, very tough because you can get an absolute kick in sometimes, but, uh, and you know it's all your fault, but, uh, I think that's that's really what motivates me. I think, as you say, it's down to your own ability. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I suppose. Well, at the end of the day, and also all the help you have around you. You know, we're on our own in the middle of the, in the in the boat in the middle of the seamen. Sponsorship is very important, Tom. Obviously, isn't it? Because it's an expensive business or sport to be in, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's an expensive enough old sport. For, uh, compared to compared to most sports, it's, it's not really in a way if you compare it to like soccer or any major league sports. But the sponsorship is the thing that makes it go, and um, also makes it a bit more complicated for foreign skippers coming into France because it's it's almost like football or hurling over here. You know, it's been on for like this race been going on for the last fifty years. Everyone in, in Brittany, especially on France, either does sail and I know someone who sails, so the, the whole sponsorship is a lot easier to find. So, and especially when you're coming from from outside the, the, the ecosystem and outside the sailing world, like, you know, from, coming from County Mead, it's definitely, it's, it's, it definitely is a bit of a challenge. All right. <laughs> and that's a pressure on you, isn't it? Because you have to perform to keep your sponsors happy. Uh, you, you do and you don't. You, at the end of the day, you do. Um, a lot of some sponsors have put a lot more pressure on skippers than other ones, and I, I was looking in that way. I think that a Smurfy Cap, I definitely never, never put that pressure on me. I, I, I might have come at, at some stage, or I was, I was always worried. I think, to be honest, I was putting more pressure on myself than they, than they ever put on me, which is one of the big step forward I made this year. So uh, uh, I wouldn't say you have to, but at some stage you will. Yeah, otherwise, so let me see them. Well, having done particularly well this year as the top non-French skipper in the race, what's your next plan? Uh, the plan is to continue on next year. Um, I would like to represent Ireland in, in 2024. There'll be, be an Olympic game. There'll be the first ever offshore event in the Olympics in Marseille and in France as well, actually, in, in 2024. So that, that's the long-term goal. Uh, for now, I think that I'm actually in the best place there is to prepare for that because I'm racing the the top level that there is, or the, 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 where all the boats are the same. You know, and it's the idea of the Olympics that all the boats will be the same. So the idea is to keep at it, keep doing that. And um, I never would imagine myself saying it's the end of the year, but try and do better. Uh, try and do better. But doing better than fifth place is not uh, isn't going to be an easy task. But try to get at it and get at it straight away. Two, two weeks even. It's interesting there to hear you'd like to represent Ireland. You still have a great belief in the maritime value of sailing to the nation here. I'd, I'd say so. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we are. We are an island after all. Um, although it's not, a, 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 it's not because you're an island that you, you automatically go towards the sea, I suppose. You know, but um, but yeah, absolutely, you are surrounded, surrounded by water. There's plenty of plenty of opportunities to go sailing unfortunately it, has a, it gets a bit of bad press as being a bit of an elitist sport and in a way I think it is you know it has to it's up to uh, 
us maybe that's the other great thing about the Olympics is if if some farmer from County Mead can goes up and and gets to represent Ireland in in what is seen as in a, in a crazy elite sport maybe that might kind of open it up a little bit and anyway anyway I, I think we need to open up the athlete. we have the sailing clubs we have to get rid of I mean. The, 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 the clubs in Ireland have all big barriers on the marinas with no trespass and cameras, you know, almost expecting an armed guard. And uh, it's, it's unfortunately not, not very welcoming to people who want us to, to try it. So I think there's a lot to be done and there's a lot that will be done. It's a far more popular sport in France, isn't it? A very big sport, particularly in Brittany, as you say. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is absolutely. Well, they, 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 I suppose it's all historical, really. Isn't it? They, they, they did a lot of things that that happened uh, back in the 60s and 70s that, that, that democratized sailing or made it cheap and accessible. Like the, the, this fellow invented a boat, and the ad at the time was that it cost the same as two bicycles. It was a Vorian, just you know, an old wooden thing that you made yourself in your garage, and, and lots of other things. Also, a lot of money was put into it by the local councillors and things like that because they said just exactly that. There was a politician dude said here look we're we're almost an island because Brittany is I suppose almost an island I said we're surrounded by water we have to send our kids to sea so he pumped loads of money into school and school sailing which opened up the opened up the the, the, the amount of people that could get access to it Tom Dolan from County Meath, the farmer's son, who'd like to represent Ireland in the Olympics, where it's expected that cruiser offshore racing boats with a crew of two will be introduced to the Olympic Games when they're held in France in 2024. There appear to be difficulties in the Coast Guard about which I've been getting a lot of calls. The Killala Unit in County Mayo was the subject of a Doyle discussion after its members were told by management in an email that they could not undertake marine rescue work any longer, apparently because the unit was not fully operational due to staffing problems, and it had at least 17 active members and was one of the biggest on the coast. I've been told also of dismissals in other units around the coast over disagreements with operational procedures. The Coast Guard is an important service and there's a lot of pride in it amongst volunteers, but it does seem there are personnel problems and those problems with management. And there's a common theme of reluctance amongst the volunteers to speak or be named in public. They say for fear of dismissal, so they tell me. We'll be keeping an eye on that and the near-run developments and we'll report further. There's a lot of concern and worry down in Dingle, that lovely part of the southwest coast in Kerry, and from where their beloved dolphin, Fungi, disappeared. The Dingle Dolphin. How well I remember him from many times I reported stories about him on radio and television. The best man to explain Fungi's disappearance is Dr Simon Barrow, Chief Executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, who joins me online. So Simon, what has happened? Tom, I think it was always going to be this way. The fungi would disappear and not just wash up dead on some Kerry shore. Um, and maybe it's better this way, so people will never really know. But one thing's for certain, you know, fungi is not immortal you know he will die eventually um he's a good age 
He's been in Dingle for 30-odd years. When I went to see him in 1988, he was quite an old animal then. You know, he had a very lot of white around his beak, his nose. So he wasn't a young uh, or an immature dolphin. So he must be 40 or 50 years, and that is a good age for a male bottlenose dolphin. So um, he, he is near his uh, natural life, and maybe he has died. But it is actually quite difficult to tell when a dolphin uh, is dead. Or has it moved? So in the Shannon, we would do regular transects around the estuary um, looking for known individuals. We have about 145 individuals in the Shannon and maybe 67% of them are well marked. So we have a catalogue of individuals that we follow. So if we go out and do a survey and we don't see an individual, is it because we missed it or is it because it wasn't there or is it because it died? And it's only by going out again and again do you um, increase the chances that you haven't missed it uh, that it has either moved on or it has died. And um, this is the only way to assess kind of mortality. And it's really important to assess mortality because if the mortality rate is higher than the birth rate, then the population is in decline. Um, so, uh, and vice versa, if the birth rate is higher, then the population is increasing. And if they're equal, then the population is stable. So we found that having looked at 26 years of data in the Shannon, that we were missing some animals. But in this case, they had actually moved. They moved to Brandon and Tralee Bay. And in some individual cases, we haven't seen them back in the Shannon estuary. So this might be a permanent emigration from the Shannon. So if you only stuck to the Shannon estuary, you would assume that these animals have died uh, because they're not seen anymore. And the fact they are alive and living in Brandon means that we'd have overestimated mortality. We'd have thought more animals had died than was the case. So that's the kind of uh, the hard science way of looking at it. Um, but in the case of fungi, um, I think that the fact that fungi has disappeared and there's no corpse washed up just adds to the to the legend and the myth that is fungi the dolphin. Um, because we don't get many dolphins, botanist dolphins washed up in Ireland, given their abundance. So I always thought when fungi does finally go, this is the way it'll go. He'll just disappear and we'll never really know. And there's no doubt there'll be sightings of fungi over the next 20 years, like there has been of Elvis um, since he uh, died. So... Um, yeah, I think um, only time will tell, but um, certainly I think we need to start planning in Dingle uh, to a life uh, after fungi, which is, um, you know, going to be very hard for, for the good people of, uh, of West Kerry. Thanks, Simon. The last days, it seems, of fungi, the great old attraction of Dingle waters. Dr. Simon Berra there giving us his expert view on what happened to the Dingle dolphin. And being old is no problem for a ship. At 99 years old and going strong, the Russian tow ship Sedov went through the legendary Northern Sea route, making an east-west passage from Vladivostok to Murmansk. Quite an achievement, but a worrying note was that the ship found on the passage the seas were almost ice-free. Clearly, another sign of climate change. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Maritime Ireland broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South in Dublin. CRY 104 FM in Yole in Cork and West Cork FM. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM in Galway. Radio Kirkaboshkeen in Clare. Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmont in County Mayo, 
Android Podcasts on Apple, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and the MarineTimes.ie. The program website address is TomXWeenieMarine.ie. That's TomXWeenieMarine.ie. And the email address is MaritimeIrelandRadioShow at gmail.com. That's MaritimeIrelandRadioShow at gmail.com, our email address. And our phone number is 0872-555-197. 0872-555-197 for your texts. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community. Technical production on the program by Justin Marr. Until our next edition, the usual wish of fair sailing. Music